Uh, we're in week two of this series called Love Does, and we're just super excited about this idea, especially when you think of Easter and, of course, today being Palm Sunday. Um, we serve a God and a Savior who did some stuff. He was an action God. He came and took action, and we're going to look at it here in a minute. Uh, but what's interesting, and I'll do a little review just in case we missed last week and you were on break or something like that, but um, what's interesting in our language, uh, we, we don't have the proper tears to the word love. Like many of us in here would say something like, I love coffee. Or like you would say about your sports team, like, I love the, but it's the same word that we would use to describe our kids. Like, I love my kids the same way that you would say you love your coffee. But we know, hopefully, that there's a little bit of a difference in the tier to it. And so that's what's interesting about our word love, and you can break down other meanings in the Bible if you get into the Greek and the way that love is used, and there's all different uh, translations to it and ways to the way that love is used. Uh, but what we want to focus in on, the thing about love is love is action. If you're truly uh, walking in love, we know that love does. If you've never read the book uh, by Bob Goff, there's a great book out there called Love Does, and we're kind of looking at things a little different in our series, but that's a great book and a great resource to look up called Love Does. But, but love, it, it's an action thing, and we even see it in Jesus' life. The most famous scripture uh, in all the Bible is John 3, 16, and it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's saying this, God had so much love that it caused him to take action. And that should be the thing in our lives. We're so full of love of God. We're so full of love for our community. We're so full of love for people that it causes us to in turn take action and do something about it. Amen. Uh, I thought about this. The result of God's love was maximum effort. When you love something, when you're so full of love for somebody or for something, there's nothing you won't do. We've all said, I'll jump in front of a bullet for my kid or I'll step in front of a car. Why? Because the, the, the biggest kind of love, it encourages you to maximum effort. Are you with me? And so in the church world or in, in the Christian walk, we, we say things like, I love God, I'm on fire for God, or I love the world. We wanna, it, it would cause us to put forth maximum effort. Is because love does, amen? Scripture says that he loved the world. Notice as we talked about last week, it doesn't say for God so loved Christians, for God so loved the church, for God so loved this kind of person or that kind of person. He loved the world. He loved everybody, every kind. He loved and took action for. If there's a person or a type or a thing that you wouldn't take action for, you don't have all the love of God. Amen? Because God's kind of love causes us to take action for the world. Amen? I thought about this. The scripture says in John 13, 35, for by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you what? Love one another. Well, love does. Love takes action. Love is a thing. So the, how is the world going to know that this thing is real and that God is alive and that we're authentic and we want to make a difference? When people take a look at us and say, man, look at how they love one another. That's different than this and that's different than this and how these people do it and those people do it. Man, they, th this thing must be real because of the way that they love one another. I thought about it like this. You live for what you love. You are positioned and postured so in your careers and in your marriage and with your kids and in all the things that you participate in, your life is being lived out for the things that you love. 
even all the way down to your hobbies and all of those things. The things that you love, your life lines up for and lives for. Amen? So if we love God, if we love our communities, if we love others, then our life would be lined up in a way that we're able to do that for others. Amen? There's three ways we looked at before we kind of changed gears. There's three ways to tell what you love. There's three easy signs that you can tell uh, what somebody loves. The first thing is what they witness about. You talk about what you love. You share about what you care about. And so if you're witnessing uh, about something you're into, you know, whether it be your sports team or something you're into, you talk about what you love. And so the same things in our life. If we love God, if we love our communities, if we love others, then we'll be talking about those things. We'll be inviting people to Easter. We'll be inviting people to this. And we'll be sharing about the things that we heard. If you love something, you witness about it. Number two is in our wealth. One way that you can tell what somebody loves, it's what they spend their money on. The scripture says it like this. It says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Meaning what you love is where you put your money. The things that you love is what you invest in. Uh, I've heard it said, show me your bank account statement and I'll show you what you love. And I'm all for God blessing you and, and taking care of us. And I believe that uh, you can be equipped in a way uh, that you're blessed and you're taken care of. I'm not saying we shouldn't have things and spend money on stuff, but I'm just saying the scripture says that we're called to seek first the kingdom of God and then everything else will be added unto us. So our, our wealth should reflect that we love God and put God first. Same thing, number three, in our time. A great way to tell what somebody loves is by what they spend time on. Uh, you spend time with what you love. Uh, you spend time in the presence of what you love. You spend time in the presence of what you love. Again, whether it be a hobby, whether it be a loved one, but when you get some time and you love something, you think about how you're going to spend time with that thing that you love. Amen? And so for us as Christians, uh, in love and action, uh, if we say we love our communities, we love others, that means we're scheduling our life in a way that our love does and our time is given to that very thing. Amen? If we say we love God, then that means we would want to spend time with him. So our devotional time is important. If we say we love God, then we love the house of God. And so being in church is something that's important to us. And we make time for serving the house of God, being a part of teams and, and giving back and making a difference in the house of God is a way that we can see uh, with your time how we love God. Amen? Amen? God is calling us all throughout scripture He's pulling us into action. He's coming, walking among us, not only saying, hey, you're good enough, you're qualified enough, you're able enough, but he's saying, get out there and do it. We know the Great Commission is, is simply Jesus saying, like, look, go into all the world, take action, make believe, make disciples, get people saved, get them baptized because eternity matters. And so he's saying, go out there and do what? Love does, take action. Uh, John 14, 12. It says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to be with the Father. This is how much God believes, and Jesus has equipped us to take action that he says, look, all those miracles you saw, the raising the dead, the blind eyes, the leper healed, all of those things, not only did I do them, but you're going to do them, and you're going to do greater things. Why? Because God has equipped us to be people with love in action taking action, making a difference. He believes that you can do it. And so I thought about this uh, as we kind of transition today. In order for us to look 
at love and how to live out love, we have to look at God. We first look at God and his son Jesus, the Trinity, the model of love, because 1 John 4, 8 says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. So every action of love, true acts of love, come from God. So everything we've seen God do in an act of love, if we're made in God's image, we're then called to do. So I'll say that again. If God is love, and every act or action of love that God did, and we're made in God's image, we're called to live out the same actions. Okay, so... The interesting thing about that is we all love love. Like love, love, we love love, I love you, love the community, change the world. We love that idea. Everybody gets on board with that. Love and it's hearts and it's bubbles and it's fun and it's love and it's happiness. But sometimes love is very ugly. Would you agree? We love the hearts and the fun and the love, love. But true love at times is ugly. I would say there's such a thing as ugly love, right? And so one of the things as I'm thinking about Jesus on the cross and as we are you know, approaching and a part of Holy Week and all of this kind of stuff, you take a look at God in action, who is Jesus going to the cross, and you take a look at how he put love in action. One of the most incredible ways that he did that, does that, is in the action of forgiveness. Now, when we think of forgiveness and we think of Easter, we think of our sins are forgiven. Oh, thank the Lord. Those are the hearts and the fun love. Oh, sins are forgiven. Love, love. We think that's all the easy love, love, fun, fun, right? But it's actually more of the ugly love when you're on a cross and they're gambling over your stuff below you and you still say, Father, forgive them. It's the ugly kind of love when it's hard and when it hurts and you don't want to do it. Everybody wants to go out on the street and feed the poor and love the kids. That's the love, love, fun, fun. But what about the ugly love? The, turn, the things that we see that are, that are hard love, and I'm not saying it's ugly. I'm just saying it's hard. It's not fun. In your face, you're like, oh, that's going to be hard. It's still a very beautiful kind of love. But I'm saying the hard kind of love like grace, like giving grace is hard to do to give a measure of grace to somebody who maybe in your mind doesn't deserve it and we gotta give grace or to tell the truth to somebody. The truest kind of, the deepest form of love is when we can tell the truth, even when it's gonna be hard. That's an ugly kind of love, I would say. Sacrificing is an action of love. It's love doing, it's sacrificing, but it's hard. It's not love, love, hearts, hearts. It's hard work. And so forgiveness is one of them. To me, one of the biggest is forgiveness. If Jesus came to show us how to live, Scripture says, I came to give you life and give it to you better. Jesus came to show us how to live. Then the cross is to teach us about how to forgive others. We love the salvation message. We love Jesus died on the cross to forgive us. But in that same message, he's saying, not only have I forgiven you, but it's now your turn to live a life that forgives others no matter what. A huge, huge message was given with the cross when you think of forgiveness and the action of love in regards to forgiveness. I'm so grateful for my salvation. I'm so grateful that God has forgiven me of my sins and I've accepted him as my savior and I have eternity. But a big part of that story 
is my forgiveness so that I can walk in forgiveness because we're not meant to hold forgiveness. The definition of forgiveness is an act of pardon or to cease or cancel blame. I love the word cease here because many times when somebody has done us wrong and we're holding unforgiveness, we take an action of blaming. It says to cease blame, which is to call off the order of blame. Seize, stop, stop, call off the order of living your life blaming somebody else. It's to forgive. It's to, it's to give the command of give forgiveness. Stop blaming and start forgiving. It's a big, big deal to God. It's a big part of the cross as we continue to look. Mark chapter eleven twenty five 25 says this. It says, and whenever you pray, just in your prayer life, forgiveness is a big part of it. So so just when you pray, even when you go into prayer, it says this, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. So to just say like, oh, I'm going to leave forgiveness over here, but I'm going to have a strong prayer life. Like I'm going to work on that unforgiveness a little bit later, but I got this strong prayer life. No, no, no. Like in your prayer life, if you have unforgiveness, that's an issue because you can't just keep that on its side and let it fester and let it be a thing. We have to seize the blame and extend forgiveness because it's even a command that we have in our prayer life here. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, it says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Part of our forgiveness that we receive from God is when we live as people who forgive others. It goes even a step further when you read down to verse 15. It says, but if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly father forgive your trespasses. You can't be somebody who says, I want all the forgiveness. I want all of this by God, but I'm going to hold it to somebody else. Are you with me? Saying you're not going to receive your forgiveness until you've gotten into a place where you can extend forgiveness to others as well. Even in the way that we live and and correspond, I just love this here in Ephesians 4.32. It says, hey, be kind, be compassionate to one another, live in a way that you're kind and compassionate to another. And then one thing that's important in that is make sure you're forgiving each other. Make sure it's a part of your life that you're living out this routine of extending forgiveness just as Christ God forgave you. Why does it matter every day? Why is it such a big deal in our every single day that we live out forgiveness towards others, that we let go of the bitterness, that we let go of these things? The reason it's a a big deal and God's saying, hey, make sure in your prayer you cover forgiveness. Make sure in your life when you're extending love and compassion to one another, make sure you make sure you got forgiveness covered. Why? Because it's a cycle and it's a pit of unforgiveness that that, that repeats itself. 93% of children who are abused who abuse others were abused themselves. There's this unforgiveness that gets kept in them and it grows in them and then it acts out in ways that is damaging. Are you with me? Unforgiveness has the potential to destroy your family, your life, your job, and your future. When you let that thing carry on, that blame live, that thing carry on. When you let it live and fester and be a huge part of the inside, when you let that win, it pulls you off of your purpose. You make your mission blaming and vengeance and getting instead of living out the purpose that God designed for you. 
We're going to take a look at Jesus' life here, where literally uh, he had a mission and he had a purpose, and his un- he could have let unforgiveness in his life, and it would have cost him the cross. We're going to take a look at it here in a minute. So unforgiveness has the potential to destroy. Why? Because it becomes your new focus. You get off your purpose, and you get stuck on that very thing. It will steal your joy. It will steal your peace, and it will steal your fellowship with others. Many of you will say, oh, I had this thing happen to me and I'm hurt. And so you build a wall and a defense and you say, I'm not going to get hurt again because I have this unforgiveness and I'm blaming others. So you build a wall and then you never make relationships again because you're holding that unforgiveness. But God's design was for us to be in community with one another. You can't do life alone. So you have to get rid of that unforgiveness and put that wall back down and trust others. Are you with me? Uh, Many people have said it like this, and I believe it to be so true. Holding onto unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. You yourself are the one decaying. You are the one dying. You are the one becoming less of who you're supposed to be because that unforgiveness, that poison is rotting you. And you sit over here waiting for them to get it, waiting for them to get the thing, waiting for them to, but you're the really one dying. You're the one losing your life. You're the one losing the quality of living because unforgiveness is suffocating you. Are you with me? There's the beautiful picture is Jesus. Mark chapter 14. Uh, It says that everybody at this point on his way to the cross, the scripture says has deserted him. And then it says and fled him. So it's not like, hey, they hid out. They were getting away from Jesus at this point. Now you got to think about this for Jesus. It was his crew. These were his disciples, his boys that he invested in. Many of you would have this experience if you uh, went and got a job and you invested three, four, five years into a team and they let you go and you're just like, all that work, those people, and it felt like for nothing. Imagine Jesus here who's perfect, blameless, sinless, and he's with these people showing them a better way to live. They all desert and flee from him and he's sitting over here like, what? What, what's going on? So think about this in his life, the, the uh, anger, the bitterness, all that could have built up on the inside of him. So not only did they flee, but along the way, one literally sold him out for money, sent him to be captured, sold him out. His best friend denied even knowing him. Oh, oh uh, Jesus, no, I don't know. Some come to him and say, hey, aren't you with Jesus? No, never, never knew the guy. I don't know what you're talking about. That's not me. And so he's got these guys selling him out. They're denying him. They've not just deserted him, but they fled from him. He's standing in front of Pontius Pilate and they're judging what they should do with him. And the crowds of people around him are yelling, crucify him, crucify him. If I'm Jesus, I'm looking around that crowd being like, crucify. I healed your kid and I healed your husband. And I said this and I changed your life this way, this way. And you're over here yelling, crucify. He had all the reason to be bitter and angry and to act out. And instead he goes all the way to the cross not saying a thing, not calling out people. As a matter of fact, in one story, he says, don't you think I have the power to call down a legion of angels and get you guys? But it's not about that. Uh, I'm literally thinking of him going, I left heaven for all of this. Don't you people know that I came here to save you from hell and this is what you're doing to me? You know, many of us build those cases where we have unforgiveness towards somebody and we say, don't they realize that I've done this and I did this and I did this for them, don't they realize? And we want to get them with that. And yet Jesus had all the right, perfect, blameless, sinless. He could have said, don't they know? And he could have got them, but instead he stayed about his purpose. 
He didn't let bitterness and unforgiveness creep in. He, he still went to the cross. And Jesus says, hanging on the cross, Scripture says in Luke 23, 34, then Jesus said to them, amidst all of this buildup, people fleeing, running from him, selling him out, all this stuff. He's on the cross as they're literally betting and gambling over the stuff below him. And in Luke 23, 34, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do as they divided his garments and cast lots. If it was me up there, I'm saying, Father, fry them. Fry him, fry him. That one can go. That one's all right. Fry that one. <laughs> saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He got at the raw end of the deal, whipped, his beard pulled out, all the persecution, all the suffering, and his response in all of that, while he's still perfect, is God forgive them. Forgive them, ugly love, like the hard part of it, just forgive them. The cross was about our forgiveness of sins, but also giving us an amazing picture of how we can extend forgiveness to others. Even when you're right, that's the thing with unforgiveness. I get to hold on to this. I get to keep this because I was right. Well, you're not right because it's ruining you. Are you with me? I'll close with this. How could he do it? I mean, think about it. That's the question you ask is how could Jesus do it? Who was perfect, never sin, also all-knowing, right? If I'm standing in that crowd and I have all wisdom, and this guy's over here yelling, crucify. Oh, really, pal? You want me crucified? You know what you do? You want me to share with the group how you live? You got to remember, he was all-knowing. He had all wisdom. He was Jesus. He was God. And so, and yet he still went to the cross and love did. He still walked it out. How could he do it? How can we do it? How can we walk in forgiveness even when we're right? Even when we're, how do we do it? Here's how he did it. It's because Jesus saw people with God's eyes. He looked at him through the lens of not what was happening to him, but what God could do for them. And he could extend forgiveness. I thought about it like this. You are never more like Christ than when you extend forgiveness. Jesus had the understanding that we all know. It's a great saying that we all know that hurt people hurt people. When people are hurt, they act out and hurt others. And so Jesus knew it was a fallen world. It was a sinful world. And he put on God's eyes, because he was God. But he looked at it in the lens of, hey, hurt people, they're sin. They, they need me to do this. So I forgive you, because they don't know. They don't know the full picture. They don't have it all put together. And so he, he understood. This is me kind of just being, it's my best analogy. But I grew up in the country, and, uh, and so there'd be times where animals would be injured. Uh, you know, maybe on a country road or whatever. But anytime an animal's been injured and they're hurt, it could even be your pet. And what was normally like a really nice little pet or a thing, but because it's injured and it's hurt, it's maybe nipped at you before or it runs from you or it runs into walls or it does crazy things because of its hurt. I had an animal that was injured and it runs into the barn walls or it like, you know, falls off of things because it has this injury. It acts crazy because it's hurt. The world acts crazy because it's hurt right? The world acts crazy because it's hurt. And so we don't need to look at people and say, you, you, you. We need to look at people and say, oh, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They're hurt. I'm not trying to run into stuff and mess stuff up. Let's forgive them and extend them grace and, and be love and action and lead them to truth. Are you with me? I thought about it like this. 
When Jesus was on the cross, he saw there was a hurt and dying world. That needs to be our idea. The way we look at people, the way we interact with things, there's hurt people. And the way that we move into forgiveness is we have this understanding that forgiveness is not a feeling. Well, when I get there, when it feels right, when I, and and listen, I'll kind of pause and say, I realize that there are major things that need intense counseling and time. Okay, I get that. So I'm not saying everybody should just get over your feelings and go forgive. Uh, But many times we hurt ourselves because we wait to feel it. I just gotta feel it and I gotta, and we put up, forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a mindset. It's the mind of Christ saying, I, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And you don't let that poison of unforgiveness ruin your life. I heard it said like this about forgiveness. This is my last thought. Forgiveness is like a broken bone. Forgiveness, the act of extending forgiveness is setting the bone and then time heals. Go out and take the act of forgiveness and let time heal. Just take a minute, let it heal. You can set it, you can do your part in it. That way when you pray, you can go to your father and say, hey, I got no trespasses against anybody. I've forgiven everybody of my things. I've set it, I'm still healing. It didn't say anything about healing. You can be in the process of healing. That takes time and professional and all that stuff. But set it, give the act of forgiveness and then put up boundaries or whatever you need to do to, to stay safe. You know what I'm saying? But we can't be a people who let unforgiveness win because unforgiveness tried to take Jesus from the cross. All of these things tried to cost him his purpose. Same thing in your life. Opportunities of unforgiveness are gonna come to derail you from your purpose. Love does even when it's ugly. It does, we have to take action.